0: Welcome, everyone, to Historia, a podcast dedicated to the study of history and culture. I am your host, David Williams. Let's get started. Okay, today I have Chris DeRose with me. Chris is a New York Times bestselling author of Star-Spangled Scandal, The President's War, Congressman Lincoln founding rivals. Today, he's with us to talk about his brand new book, The Fighting Bunch. Now, this book is a topic that I have never heard of before I picked this book up. So I was just really fascinated by it. A little, little piece of American history that I don't know how I haven't heard about it, and I really don't know how it's not become a Netflix movie or something like that. And
1: hopefully with Chris's book, it will. Um, so Chris, how's it going? Everything's going well. Thanks for having me. I'm glad you enjoyed the book, David.
0: It was really great. I mean, like I said, I just I had no idea what I was looking at when I started, and that's not altogether common for me. I was really excited to, to read something completely new. Why don't you tell us a little bit about The Fighting Bunch, what it's about, what made you
1: interested in it? Yeah, so I'd always kind of been aware of this story. Your knowledge about the Battle of Athens, Tennessee is like a mile wide and an inch deep. And I don't remember where I first heard about this story, but um, and I'm getting that question a lot these days, and so I really wish I remembered, but I'd known about it for a very long time. And all I really knew was this, which is really all anybody knows, that there had been these GIs who came back from World War II, that they had encountered corruption in their hometown, that they had formed a political movement to try to defeat this machine that had dominated their community for a decade, and uh the machine tried to steal the election and so these world war ii veterans took up arms one last time to secure the ballot boxes and to achieve a fair public counting of the votes and that was really all i knew and that's pretty much all that's out there um and so you know i really decided after my last book to travel to athens tennessee and to find out what else i could learn about this It was a phenomenal, phenomenal story and really a great and uniquely American story. And I wanted to try to record it and write a full length, comprehensive book about it, if that was still possible. And, you know, thankfully it was. And I found um, people who were eyewitnesses. I found some people, I found many, many, talked to many, many children who are, call them children, they're now in their 60s, 70s, 80s. Uh, people who participated in the battle. I was looking in old safes. Uh, in one case, the campaign manager for the GI ticket, Jim Buttram, uh, his children remember him having a safe that hadn't been opened since the 1950s. And his widow passed away a couple years ago and they had opened the safe and there were all the private documents about this GI ticket that was formed in secret to drive the machine out of town. Uh, Bill White, who really is uh, the spine of the veterans when it comes to confronting the sheriff and his men in the jail. He uh, recorded hours of his recollections, and those are in the possession of his family. And I got to be the first person outside the White family to listen to those tapes. And so the story was out there. I just had to reconstruct it uh, painstakingly. Uh, one piece at a time, but it was it was great fun. It was a treasure hunt every day, trying to put this story together. And I'm I'm so pleased that it's now out there in book form, and and now everyone can learn about what happened at the Battle of Athens.
0: That's really phenomenal. You talk your book. You're very open in your in your book about your research and how you uh, came across this. Just like I said, it's just such a fascinating story. A really, an Amer- I mean, it really is an American story
1: no, the rights are being violated, we're going to reestablish the rights, and then we're going to move on. That's certainly what happened in this case. You know, it's this incredible story of, of reconciliation for the people in the community. When the fighting was done, there was no interest in getting revenge or reprisal. Uh, they had achieved their and they were able to advance got their community back, and they got their ability to uh, have free and fair elections back, and they were satisfied with that. It really is a powerful example I think for America today. I, I
0: agree. I mean I, I think that just the the normal human emotions say that these these men, these deputies, uh particularly, they were they were brutal. I mean they weren't just big talkers or swaying around. These men were absolutely brutal and they um they extracted essentially tribute from their neighbors and I can only imagine that the human desire for revenge and reprisal must have been strong. And yet they overcame that to say, no, we're not going to go down that path. We're not, I mean, obviously in the heat of the moment, there were some people who tried a few things, but in all, I mean, it just, it was just amazing to me how everyone except the ringleaders, I mean, the, the very top of the, uh, the corrupt ticket who really weren't welcome
1: back, <laughs> Well, I mean, Paul Cantrell, who'd been the leader of the previous machine, I mean, he's welcome back to town within a matter of weeks. True, very true, true. You know? And, and uh, I interviewed his grandson, who's incredibly gracious to talk to me uh, about a story where there's, there's no way his grandfather's going to come out the hero or lo- even looking good. And he was still willing to sit down with me and, and tell me what he knew. He said that his grandfather never carried a gun into town, which is remarkable to think the sheer number of people who, who might have had scores to settle. As that regime had been brutal. Like you said, I mean, there were men who got arrested on the bus coming home from war and the deputies would just steal their money. And so, uh, you know, this, at this point in history, uh, law enforcement officers were compensated based on how many arrests they could make, which is an incredibly perverse incentive that generated a large number of uh, arrests that were made for absolutely no reason. And so, yeah, certainly, I mean, if these guys had wanted to hold a grudge, I'm not sure anyone would have held it against them. But it was their magnanimity that allowed them to have a a peaceful and prosperous community in the time that followed. If they had decided we're going to get revenge on everyone involved, it would have been very tough to have uh, achieved that. You would have forced people to fight for their lives. And people are dangerous when they're fighting for their lives. Oh, yes, indeed. Right? if you had decided that we're going to round up everyone who had anything to do with this machine, we're going to put them on trial or maybe we're going to do something to them outside the legal system, you'd better be prepared for 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 you know some retaliation on their part as well. and then it goes on forever, then you end up right you now I'm doing some research on the Cuban Revolution right now for a possible new book, and you know some of the people I'm interviewing who are still fighting the Cuban Revolution sixty years later. Um, people they know were put on show trials and executed and buried in mass graves and in some cases their parents were murdered so what are you ever going to stop, stop fighting the regime that murdered your parents Right. You, know, if, you want, if you want rebellions to be successful and to be accepted then you need to show some degree of magnanimity to the people on the losing side mercy doesn't just benefit the people it's extended to mercy also benefits the people who give it exactly and once again that's such a such an american
0: story because it's in many ways uh uh, mirrors our own american revolution
1: exactly right i mean you have a third of the country by some counts uh, were loyalists um wanted to remain part of the united kingdom and you know um it's it's remarkable that uh we were able when the revolution was done we're all americans we're an independent country let's move forward you can't say that um there wasn't some prejudice against people who who were loyalists during the revolutionary war but we're not talking about you know rounding them up or taking their property or throwing them in prison or anything like that in fact uh, part of the um settlement
0: afterwards was for the those who had been forced off their land for one reason or another and had fled to canada were recompensed for their their losses
1: yeah good point and so yeah even though um you know it was part of the treaty terms you're right they had to make good on on some of the things that that, that um that they had done some of the some of the financial losses that the loyalists had had received so yeah that's another good point point. and so yeah i just i just it was i mean so, so many
0: different ways which in the american story i mean bill white is as i said this is a classic american character I mean, if Bill White didn't exist in your book, he would have needed to, been, to have been invented.
1: <laughs> I think that's exactly right. I mean, Bill White, you know, if you watch, if you're a Clint Eastwood fan, I'm a big Clint Eastwood fan, and he's basically played the same exact character like in yeah. most of his last few movies in The Mule, in Million Dollar Baby, in Gran Torino. It's like all the same guy. Right. It's like lovable, curmudgeonly guy with a heart of gold. And Bill White was sort of that character, but like at age 20.
0: Yeah. You know, almost a uh, almost a John McClane, but even a little bit past John McClane from you know the you know? <laughs> I.R. I was thinking in my head, like you know, of course, you know, watching, you're know, reading this book. I'm going, okay, if Chris gets his due, this will be made into a Netflix series or HBO or something. We'll make a make a mini series out of this, and I'm thinking, who would you have play? um bill white i'm thinking uh, i don't know about now but i know at one time bruce willis would have been a perfect character
1: bruce willis would have been a great big white uh, a great bill white much younger clint eastwood i think would have been the perfect Bill white much younger in fact if there was a miniseries or movie that called for an older bill white i think clint eastwood would be the perfect person to play him um wouldn't take much acting he'd be Um, the perfect
0: person to make the series.
1: You know it would be, be terrific um but uh it really he's really one director you could see getting this right, oh yeah,
0: yeah, i mean it's just it's so, such a great story i mean there's uh there's a certain element um there's definitely an element where if if you are a second amendment supporter, this story has got a, has got quite a moral for you. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I think if you take the people who knew and you know, there is there are some there are like 95 percent of the countries never heard of the Battle of Athens. But if you look, like Battle of Athens gets mentioned like once an hour on Twitter seventy-five <laughs> years later. So there are there is a small number of Americans who have always kind of kept the flame of this story alive. And I think if you look for one place where people have sort of this knowledge alive it's the second amendment community because this really is the the primary example in american history of uh people taking up arms against the tyrannical government and removing it from
0: power and you know i'm from i'm from the state of louisiana so uh when it comes to uh political machines uh you know i've 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 read about a few over the years in in the history of my own state, of course, you know, the, the long machine, you had Edwin Edwards. It seems to be a very common thing, particularly, I don't know. It seems like maybe it's just because I've read more about the South, but it seems to be a very common thing in the South to have these almost statewide political machines. I mean, Tennessee had this machine that allowed Athens to go on. I mean, it wasn't like Athens was a, um, what, wasn't really particularly bad. It was just particularly uh, the people who were there got fed up with it.
1: Well, so I'd say a couple things. I'd say, number one, the the voter intimidation and voter fraud that went on in McMinn County during this 10-year period was characterized by a former U.S. Attorney General as uh, at least the worst allegations of voter fraud that had ever come to the attention of the Department of Justice. Wow. I think in terms of... In terms of how Basically, you know, there were other machines They would cheat, they would steal votes They would swap a ballot box They would fool around at the margins But democracy actually completely Failed to exist in McMinn County, Tennessee For almost a decade The the idea that you could have Any sort of representative government there Was impossible because the machine Just completely refused to lose They would count the ballot boxes in secret The total would be whatever They said it was it wouldn't matter if it exceeded the number of registered voters. Um, I mean, literally nothing would get in the way of them stealing these elections. So I think that part actually is unique about what the people of Macmin County lived under. But um, you make a really good point that they're backed up by a statewide machine. And there are a lot of these throughout the South. You talk about the long machine, very good example. I'm from Chicago, where, of course, you have the daily machine. Right. Um, but yeah, I think, I think this was definitely a big problem throughout the South as well. And in Tennessee, uh, Boss Crump out of Memphis was the ruler of the state. I mean, the judiciary was controlled by Boss Crump. And the legislature and the governor and even the U.S. senators were tools of Boss Crump and could be removed from office uh, at his whim. And so uh, the Department of Justice isn't too eager to go into Tennessee and mess with Boss Crump's turf because he controls federal legislators and, you know, the Truman white house and the Roosevelt white house need to deal with Crump and, uh, you know, at the democratic convention. And so it's just, it's just not a guy you want to mess with. Plus I think the DOJ had just generally considered voting to be a a local prerogative and voting problems to be a a local issue.
0: Yeah. You know, it's, it's very interesting. Something that I, I, um, in reading the book, I was, I was curious about, I'm not as familiar with East Tennessee. I've been there a couple of times, just kind of driving through, went to a conference one time, but I don't really know the territory that well. Um, I found it interesting, there was only really one mention of uh, African-Americans in your book, uh, one of the individuals who was brutalized by the deputies.
1: Is there a, Was there a large black population in that area? No, there isn't much of one there, and so this East Tennessee is different from the rest of the state. Um, East Tennessee really didn't have much slavery in the in the antebellum era, and so that was one reason why East Tennessee remained loyal to the Union, right? Voted against secession. But um, after the Civil War, um, I don't really know exactly when it started, but by the time of the Battle of Athens, Tom Gillespie, who's sixty years old he'd been successfully voting without any trouble for many, many years. And so at least in this regard, Macmin County was very forward thinking in the sense that the black residents of town and there weren't very many, they weren't, weren't a big, big part of the population, but the ones that were had no trouble casting ballots.
0: Yeah, that's uh that was, it was an interesting part because, you know, it's something that you think about of course when you're when you're thinking about voting rights being suppressed people forget that it was the suppression was very widespread
1: Um, yeah and you know when you're talking about when you're talking about voting irregularities in the south in the 1940s it's certainly you know your instinct is good if you're thinking about disenfranchisement of black voters but in this case um Tom Gillespie's problem was widely shared among the white residents of his community, who had no functioning democracy. That book coming
0: out on election day this year—I'm assuming the
1: publisher had
0: intent in that, of course. You never know, um, probably. I, I don't think you could have you could have landed though in a, in a better time because of all of the conversations we're having right now about things like, well, the election is rigged, and this is and I and I, it's funny because reading your book at the same time while the news was going on in between that. And I'm reading this going, I don't think you people know what a rigged election looks like.
1: Um, <laughs> once you've read this book, once you've read this book, I think your perception of what voter fraud looks like will change. Right, and and part of that is it, it really helped me to uh,
0: talk with people over the last week, believe it or not, because I said, look, y'all have to understand, you can't voter fraud one and two and three people at a time and get up to 20 or 30,000 votes. That doesn't happen.
1: I mean, I've worked as an election lawyer for a very long time and in five different states. And you really, really what you see, generally speaking, be honest mistakes on the part of election officials or, you know, legitimate procedural questions. But the idea of Somebody actually stealing large numbers of votes is almost unheard of. Not totally, but it right. really gets talked about uh, out of proportion to its prevalence. Well, you you would have to do it at the level that we see
0: in in your book. Um, I, it's it's interesting. I think the book, one of the books I read just in the last few weeks before I read yours was a book about uh, Tombstone and some of the battle. You know, some of the the fight there was. The, you know herbs and Clantons but also the herbs were Republicans Tombstone. the Clantons were Democrats you're, you're from Arizona so you
1: you know this I mean and which Tombstone book was this sir uh, uh, I believe it was the book Tombstone by Tom Clavin by Tom Claven. so Tom is a good friend of mine Oh, wonderful. Tom, so Tom Claven and Jeff Quinn both wrote books on Tombstone yes and they were both kind enough to uh supply blurb blurbs for my book and so I've got both of them on the um the back of, of my book um, recommending it, which I really appreciated. What's funny is um, we all share the same agent in Hollywood for the dramatic rights. Okay. So I was like, how are you going to sell the tombstone book? You got two clients who've both written tombstone books. <laughs> Team them up. Exactly. Um,
0: the, an book. Yeah. They're both books. But I found it interesting in reading in reading the I read the Gwynn book a couple of years ago, and I just finished the Claven book. And what I found really interesting was you had an, in, an instance where, um, you know, just like you see in in Daily Chicago or in Longs Louisiana or in Macklin County, you know, the, a, a precinct with twelve voters comes in with uh, twelve hundred, you know, with hundred and twenty votes.
1: Yeah, um, yeah. There's, there's no there's no fear of them. There's no fear of them actually getting caught or getting in trouble for this. So they weren't exactly uh, very precise with the way they did things. Right, and so, you know, the, the ability we have today, I mean, with election monitors
0: and that kind of thing, it's just so very difficult to pull off something that you hear about in the, the old days.
1: Yeah, I think today there's really no chance of this situation repeating itself, thank goodness. Yes,
0: uh, definitely. I mean, just because uh, that is one of the most important parts of our democracy is that, that ability to vote and to, and to, um, to make sure that that, that, that system is uh, is fair and open and is run properly. That's right. Um, one of the things that it seems it, it's, a, it's an oddity only because maybe just the books that I've been reading lately, um, but every conversation that I've had so far, there's been this one underlying theme that keeps popping up and um that i see in these characters as well and that is i'm hoping my listeners don't get tired of this but i hope, hope they don't because it's very important and that is that while we are a nation of laws and this was true for us as it was for the roman republic which was one of the first conversations i ever i, I had on this podcast those laws are enacted by men and so the moral character of the people who are in power is actually very important. It's vital because, you know, in this case, the, the we were a nation of laws when Macklin County was under the oppression of, of essentially a tyranny. That's right. And and so if 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 the people in charge are not moral individuals. Uh, I believe it was John Adams who said, our, our country was founded on the premise of a moral and religious population. This idea that people would do the right thing when given the choice, or at least enough of them would. And um, I, think that, I think it's something that we've kind of set aside in the last um, number of years. We've kind of lost sight of that in our, in our politics. It's become more about winner take all And destroying your opponent and this idea that, well, it doesn't matter what the leaders are like. I'm like, no, it matters a great deal. I think that's exactly right. This great moment in the book Towards the End when the National Guard is on its way to stop this insurrection that has begun. And you get the feeling that there was a lot of joy on the part of the commander of the national guard when he was told to stand down. I I kind of got the impression that he wasn't certain when they got to Athens, which side the national guard would actually
1: take. Yeah. I mean, it could be hard to tell uh, what they would have done uh, had they arrived there. If they would have followed the orders, they would have really been willing to open fire on other veterans who were just standing up for their rights. I mean, it's just one of those things we'll never know.
0: Right. And, you know, in some ways that makes it so much better that they ended it when it did, because the thought of the National Guard joining in with a group of veterans who were essentially vigilantes <laughs> against, against the duly effect, you know, elected at that time, uh, leader, you know, authorities that that could have been very, very problematic. <laughs> yeah, I think that's right. So it was uh was very nice that it
1: ended when it did (laughs) agreed yeah agreed and you know they were ready to fight the guard if necessary at least bill white was but you know bill white would have showed up and fought the jail by himself if he had had to yeah you kind of get the feeling that bill white i mean
0: you you told the story in there about how he um uh, was one of the things that i that i i picked up on there was a problem or an ordinance about
1: gunfire in the town and they were having problems with uh, feral hogs Yeah. And so he created He made a spear, which he had learned to do in the Solomon Islands. He made a spear by by basically heating up up wood and creating a spear. And he waited for the hogs to come. That's how he got into hog hunting. And
0: I think people who haven't um, ever experienced that, we have a problem over in East Texas, not far from where I am, with feral hogs. These are not cute little pigs from Charlotte's Web.
1: Oh, goodness. No, no. These are like 300-pound beasts. And you'd, according to Bill, you'd rather fight a bear than fight one of these hogs. And they have a very thick hide. I mean, you, have, you need a high-powered hunting rifle
0: to bring them down and uh, because they have scar <laughs> tissue all over them. And Bill um, White, you could do it with a spear. Yeah, and I, I'm looking at Bill White with a spear, I'm thinking, this guy's crazy. <laughs> this guy's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, had a, I had a friend I, I knew, uh, a pastor I knew from Jamaica, whose brother had actually been killed by a, by a wild hog in Jamaica um, when they were hunting. So, you know, I had the stories in my head, and I'm thinking, that's that's a little bit crazy. That's just a little bit crazy to go after a wild hog is, with a spear.
1: I think I mentioned this in the book. There's an interview or an article about Bill White and his hog hunting where it says, you might say Bill White's a little bit crazy, but you wouldn't want to tell him that to his face. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> But
0: like I said, just a, I mean, just a wonderfully, I mean, this is, this man is a, is a character waiting for, waiting for his story to be told somewhere. Oh, you're in God's ears. I hope that's right. What, one of the things um, that I really did enjoy was you, the way that you laid out their stories of these uh, young men before they left and while they were gone. Um, so we got a little bit of a world war two history as well, Um Bill White's story on the Solomon Islands was very. I mean, is it, We don't. We don't. I don't think we, we get enough about the uh, the battle of the Solomons. Uh, we, we know a lot more about Normandy and uh, and the Battle of the Bulge. I think than we do the Battle of the Solomon Islands and Guadalcanal.
1: The Pacific is definitely overlooked in World War. Europe is obviously favored. The European theater is obviously favored in what's written about World War II and. Um, the Marines in the Pacific certainly an incredibly compelling story, and they've got some great books written about them. But it's nowhere near the number written about the war in Europe.
0: Well, I wonder if some of that. I just remember as a kid, that was my, of course, my grandfather's generation. I'm 46, so I I knew. I mean, I was lucky enough to know a lot of World War II veterans, um, yeah. and uh, in my in my family, and it was interesting because listening to the people talk who had been overseas, and this would have been like the night. 1980s mid late 1980s the men who were in europe were far more likely to talk about their experiences which looking back as i got older i realized how much how much more traumatic in many ways that total warfare that was fought in asia in the in the pacific was uh, for so many of the marines and the soldiers who fought in the pacific there they fought almost a total war which was very different than the the more Traditional classic warfare that was fought in Europe.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's that's. Look, I mean, the Japanese didn't surrender. Right. Germans surrendered. Italians surrendered. Um, the Japanese did not, by and large, surrender. Yeah, it was a,
0: a very, uh, very, very, very tough time, and and that and that that created these men like Bill White. They they fought. It was, a, it was a fight to the death. It was whoever, whoever's alive at the end of the day is the victor. And I think that kind of thing creates something in a person that says, no, I'm just not going to put up with this.
1: I think that makes sense, yeah.
0: Well, Chris, it's really been great talking to you. And thank you so much for your time. Uh, this was really, a uh, like I said, it's a great book. And I really encourage everybody to go out and get a copy of it. Uh, write reviews. Um, It's really, really a great book. So I really appreciate you. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks for your time and uh, take care.
1: Thank you. Bye bye.
0: Bye. All right. Well, Chris has left and I really appreciate him coming on and sharing with us his new book. I really recommend that you go out and buy the book at the time that we are recording this. It's a few days after over a week after the election of 2020 and there's still a lot of tension in the country and something I want to really emphasize and Chris emphasizes this in his book, the men of Macklin County, the people of Macklin County were under an oppressive regime. There was essentially no law, just a brutal tyranny. When the men who The GIs took up arms against the duly elected authorities. They only did so because every other opportunity had been used. They had asked the governor to intervene. They had asked the federal government to intervene. Nobody stepped in. There was no other option. It was either live under a tyranny or take care of it yourself. And I want to emphasize that because... This is not the time that we live in today. Yes, people get upset about how votes are counted or whatever. And that's fine. That's part of being an American. We complain about our elections. We complain about our elected leaders. That is wonderful. And we should always do that. Sometimes the processes seem a little strange. Sometimes they're even a little messed up. That doesn't matter. What matters is the process is allowed to go as it is designed. This is where we are not today. To my fellow Americans who are on the right, we are not in a place where an election is being stolen. I think that Chris made that clear from his own experience as an election lawyer. This is not a time to threaten to kidnap governors or to take to the streets, we should not have Republican lawmakers in Pennsylvania living under threats of death and people using the Second Amendment as an excuse for that. That is no excuse for that. The process is being followed, and that's what is important. And if there is a question about the process, that's why we have the ability to appeal that process. And those things will happen in due process. That is the important part. There must always be due process. No one's rights are being denied right now. Everything is still going according to how the law is laid out. To my friends on the left, I know that there is concern about some of the things that the Republicans are saying and the way they are acting and that is tru- it is troublesome i will say that right now our president is acting in a way that i have never heard of a president acting before that being said there is no coup there is no attempt to overthrow the government Donald Trump will leave office on January 20th and Joe Biden will be sworn in as the 46th president because that's how the system works. And it works because we have to have faith in the system and we have to have faith in the American people, men and women, from every level of life, from the crazy politicians, to the soldiers, to the police, to the average citizens, that we will make this system work. This system doesn't belong to any politician. It belongs to the American people, and it's working exactly as it's planned. If there's anything screwed up right now, it's us, the American people for kind of losing our collective minds. So I just wanted to say that that I don't want anyone to take this uh, interview and definitely not this book that, that Chris wrote as an excuse to rise up in arms against the government. There might be a time where that is necessary. It was probably necessary when it happened in 1946. It is not necessary today, and we will all see a better time as we move forward, and I hope that this book can help some people to do that and take the lesson that we talked about in this book, and that is once we move past everything, reconcile come together. Remember that in the end, we are all Americans. We may have different ideas about how to take care of the environment and about abortion and about so many other things, but that doesn't matter because in the end, we still love this country and we still want it to succeed. And we have to find a way to come together and find a common vision and a common purpose, just like They did in 1946 or 1776. So, once again, thank you so much for listening. Sorry for this little rant here at the end. I just felt a need to say it. Um, Definitely go out and buy Chris's book. Buy all of Chris's books. I'll have links for all of them in the um, show notes. Please subscribe. If you're not already subscribed, uh, we are on iTunes. We are on the Apple podcast. We are on Spotify. We are on Stitcher and we are on pocket casts. So subscribe, leave a five star rating, leave us a review. Your reviews really help to get us noticed. Tell your friends about it. We got some great new shows that are coming up very soon. So we look forward to to seeing you again. And thank you so much. Have a wonderful night.